0: ways to reset our spiritual development and the ways that we worship and seek and live in this relationship with the Lord. And I don't know, for me, in my early years of my life, I I was kind of a mechanic kind of guy. I uh, I used to work on cars a lot, and I used to build motorcycles. And one of the things that I learned, I, I actually did body work, and so I traded body work for buddies of mine who did engine work. One of the things that I learned, you know, was that it was important to change the oil in my car. Any of you know anybody that's just taken their car and driven it out till they've blown the engine up because they didn't really know? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's happened to a number of people. Really, some people don't know that they need to check their oil. And I've kind of got a theory on, on the idea of, of spiritual practices, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. Is looking for ways that we can reset spiritual practices in our lives so that it enhances our relationship with Christ, it develops our walk with Jesus, and we're able to to hear Him more clearly and live out the call that it's really placed on our lives. So this is just kind of a little tool that you can look at this morning. I want you to think about as I'm talking, I want you to think about what we can do, what you can do in your walk with Christ, to actually just Check the oil and and take a look at your life and see if there are any practices that that really need to be reset. Uh, Maybe your tires are low in an area. Maybe you're a little lower in oil. Maybe you're not low in oil or in oil at all. Maybe you're really engaging Christ, but you find that when you pull the dipstick out, the oil's pretty dirty and it's time to be refreshed. So it needs to be changed so that you can refocus and re engage the call that God's placed on your life. We're in the midst of a series called Reset, and I'm talking on spiritual practices this morning. So I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the first 18 verses of this chapter, and we're going to have to go pretty quickly because we get to celebrate the sacrament of communion with one another, and I want to make time for that. So as you're turning there, I want you to know that Matthew begins chapter 6, I believe, with what many scholars believe to be a summary of, and verse one. And so if you look at Matthew chapter six, verse one, follow along, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. He says, Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired for others, because if you do, you're going to lose your reward from your Father who is in heaven. And I believe that this verse is a summary for all of the other verses that follow. And we're going to be looking at three specific spiritual practices this morning giving, prayer, and fasting. And with Lent just around the corner, and I'm sure, you know, it's it's something that's very apropos and will help get us prepared for that. And I would suppose that almost every one of us in this room this morning have have heard of spiritual practices of giving, and the spiritual practices of prayer, and the spiritual practices of fasting, and and maybe you've participated in them in some ways. But he gives us this summary in verse 1, and in this verse, he reveals what I think, is a pattern that follows every other example that he gives us throughout those 18 verses. And if you have your sermon cell that comes in the bulletin, you can follow along. Jesus tells us the right way and the wrong way to engage our life in spiritual practices. And here's the the pattern that that I read in these verses when I see Jesus' words. He warns us never to practice our acts of righteousness just to be seen by men. The second thing that he does is he always wants to make sure that our heart is in the right place, that it's, it's coming out of a true, authentic, and genuine relationship with Christ. And so he, tell, he warns us that spiritual practice, without faith, without a living relationship with Jesus, is not only meaningless, it's powerless and it's worthless. And the final thing that he shares with us in his pattern, he says, righteous living is rewarded... With a life of God's favor. For crying out loud man! This is a sermon on the mount. And they start out with. Oh blessed and how happy is the man. Oh blessed and how happy is the person. He states these promises. This condition. And then he promises that this is the inheritance. This is the reward of those who choose to walk. In righteousness. When I think of spiritual practices. Things like. You know dwelling in the word. And uh, that's something Pastor Kent does. A lot with the staff, where we will just take a passage of scripture and we'll all sit around and we'll read it. Maybe, maybe two or three of us will read it. And we'll read it from different translations. And there's no commentaries, there's no conversation till we just spend time listening to what God's Word is saying to us. Listening to what the Spirit of God is stirring in our hearts and speaking to us right here. In 2017 in Cedar Rapids and Cedar Hills. And then after we've done that, we will begin to share with one another at the end. The things that, that we hear the Spirit of God really speaking to our hearts. When I think of other spiritual practices like, like worship and storytelling. And I was sitting there in the back and just listening to everybody sing. And um, I just sat down. And I I didn't want to sing because I was going to preach. And I just closed my eyes and I just raised my hand. And I just, I was just kind of swept away into a very worshipful time of worshiping with God's body. Spiritual practices like storytelling and and serving and giving and fasting and silence and, and solitude and prayer. Practices like living in biblical community. Not only living in a relationship with God, but living out that relationship with God in the context of living with people like you and me. And when I, when I read my Bible, one of the things that speaks to me is I always see God speaking to his people. Kent said it earlier this morning, we serve a God who speaks to us. And I see the Bible full of stories where people are experiencing God. They're visited by Him or they hear from Him in in ways that are formative to their call. Where the voice of God that speaks into the heart of a person is an eternal voice that forever shapes and molds your walk with the Lord. I don't know, but my understanding of spiritual practices has really kind of led me to conclude... That they are a means. They are a way through which we can position ourselves to be in alignment with the way that God has chosen to move in our lives. And it strengthens us and it builds us up and it encourages us. They're vehicles through which God communicates to us and we communicate to Him. I was thinking about the story of Zacchaeus. In Luke chapter 19, here was a guy who was, he was just hated by everybody. And he wasn't just a normal tax collector, he was one of the chief tax collectors. And Jesus had came into to Jericho and, and he'd heard about it. And the Bible tells us that he ran ahead when he heard that Jesus was coming his way. And because he was a person who was short in stature, the Bible says that he climbed a tree. Just to position himself in a way and in a place where he could see Jesus when he came by. And I really think spiritual practices are kind of like that. I think they're things that God has chosen. Means through which we can actually intentionally position ourselves in places. To be in the, pathway, the pathways through which God speaks. Prayer is one of those. Solitude, time alone with God is one of those. I remember when I started ministry and I was doing a lot of crusade work and a a lot of revivals. Every year I would get away, twice, six to seven days. And a camper just by myself to fast and to pray and and to just meditate on God's word. And to put together a set of messages that I would preach throughout that whole year. And I remember that being an honorable thing in the midst of people. But things have changed. We live in a world today where getting away for seven days with just the Bible to fast and pray. Seems like a waste of time to modern people today. I'd like to suggest to you that any time spent with God is never... A waste of time. Spiritual practices position us, I think, to see Jesus and to receive from him. Then he goes on to talk about these three examples that he gives us. Where he starts with giving. I want you to follow along with me in verse 2 if you would. He said, so when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by others. For truly I tell you that they've received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. And when you first look at this, you think this is a secret plan for, uh, for unplanned giving or secret giving. But that's not what he's talking about at all. It's a metaphor that warns us against prideful and showy giving. Make, making a big deal out of giving back to God what's all really His anyway. And there's nothing showy and ostentatious about the way we give. And if you do it to be recognized... You miss out on the blessing. You miss out on the, oh, how happy and blessed is. And the warning that Jesus gives is this. You've already gotten your reward. You've gotten your human accolades, and that's where it stops. Verse 5, he shifts to prayer, and he says, And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. But truly, I tell you, that they've already received the reward in full. But when you pray, everybody say, when I pray. See, there's not an assumption that you, you know, that you have a choice to pray. The assumption is that you will engage these processes. You'll engage these practices. But when you pray, go into your room, close your door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I can tell you that... In the years that I've walked with the Lord, and gosh, I'm getting kind of long in the it tooth. It's been a long time. As much as I love to worship with all of you, <laughs> nothing beats my time alone with Jesus. Nothing. It's the absolute most important thing in my world. Time alone with him and, and worship and my guitar and a Bible's more important than any time I've ever spent with my wife. And I've loved Terry since she was 13 years old. It's more important and more enriching and more fulfilling than any time I've spent with my four children. And I have great relationships with all of them. When my three girls come to my house, they still just run and set her in my lap, all three of them. And I love it. I'm a little concerned about the weight that we're getting. Like my chair might collapse, but that's okay, Right? There's just something special about living your life in faith and watching and experiencing the God of all creation, the Redeemer of our souls, move on our behalf in prayer. And you've never shared anything with anybody else. It's something that you've just brought to Him in your prayer closet and you share it and wham, He manifests it in this life. Verse 7, He says, And when you pray... He says, Don't keep on babbling like the pagans because they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. He said, Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. And the focus here isn't on repetition. Because in Matthew 7, just a few verses over, the next chapter over, Jesus says, When you pray, ask, keep on asking, never stop asking. He says, Seek, keep on seeking, and never stop seeking. He says, come before me and knock. Keep our knocking and never stop knocking. The idea here is some of the pagan religions and actually believe that you know, you could coerce God and, and force Him. You could strong arm Him into taking notice of you if you repeated your words and you cried out in an attempt to get Him to take notice of you. Jesus says, You don't have to do that. All you have to do is call out to me. But here's the spiritual practice. Here's here's the button for reset in your prayer life and in your giving life. A true heartfelt faith expresses faith filled prayer, not as a technique, not as a performance. But it just flows out of a relationship that you have with the living Savior. And then finally, we come to the Lord's Prayer. And I want you to grab your sermon cell, we've got about five minutes. After the Lord's Prayer, he talks about fasting, and I want to say a few things about fasting while you're getting out that sermon cell. In verses 16 through 18, he says, When you fast, he says, Don't look somber as the hypocrites do because they disfigure their faces and, and show up to, just to show others that they're fasting. Truly I tell you that they've received their reward in full, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash off your face so that it won't be obvious to anybody else that you're fasting, but only your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. There are many instances in the Bible for the occasion of fasting. Nehemiah and Daniel fasted, and and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for the hypocritical pretenses that they brought to the idea of fasting. But the early church always used fasting. The people of Israel always used fasting to seek and determine the will of God. And here's what I've learned that fasting does to our constitutional makeup, body, soul, and spirit. Fasting is a way by where we choose to abstain from things in the natural world. And we give ourselves to meditate and reflect upon the Word of God and to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And over time, this is what happens. It's kind of like adding catalyst to glue. When you add the hardener to an epoxy, what happens? It begins to settle and hardens up and the two become one. Over a period of time in fasting, that's what happens the desires of the flesh begin to shut down. Now, they scream about the fourth or fifth day of fasting. They're screaming at you. Orang- the Oranges never look so orange. You know? Fried eggs and bacon never sounded so good. And you can smell things, you know? Even though it's not even there. But when you continue to resist that and give of yourself to fasting and prayer, Scripture comes alive. And because you are willfully putting down the desires and the things of the flesh in this world and tuning yourself into focus on the things of God, I always hear more clearly. And so it allows my mind and my body and spirit to to come into alignment. I don't know how to explain that, but in a way that I feel more closely connected to the Lord. I want to read you one quote from Dallas Willard. Because, see, the real result, the real benefit of resetting spiritual practices like giving and prayer and fasting is that it makes us more like Jesus. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Spirit of Disciplines, he makes this statement. He says, my central claim is that we can become like Christ by doing one thing. By following him and the overall style of life that he chose for himself. He says, we can through faith and grace become like Christ. By practicing the types of actions that he engaged in by arranging our whole lives around the activities that he himself practiced. In order to remain constantly at home And the fellowship of the Father. Spiritual practices are a means by which we're able to hit reset and stop the busyness of this life, stop all of the things in our lives that compete for our time and our hearts and our souls, and be very intentional about implementing practices in our lives that puts Him first and foremost before your spouse, before your children before your vocation, Christ first. So, if we were to, if you were to liken your body to an old car and you pulled up in front of a mechanic's garage and you came in for a checkup to get your oil changed, are there any areas in your life where... You might be a little lower in oil, or maybe your oil's pretty dirty, and it's time for change. Are there areas in your life where maybe there's a wobble in your front end because your tire pressure is lower in the left front tire? Maybe it's time to get your transmission flush, because you're just stuck in a gear. Or maybe you need to get all of your fluids serviced? Well Jesus warns us about the right things and the wrong things. Then he shows us this pattern, but one of the things that he does do, and this is where we want to close, is he closes with the Lord's Prayer. And I want us to do this. This is a modeled prayer that I've used in my life for 20 plus years. Jesus was alone with his disciples. One of them looked at him one day and they said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray the same way that John teaches others to pray? Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this he says, our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. That's the first part of seven parts. Stop right there and just worship God. Think about all the names that he's revealed unto us. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord God of righteousness. Thank him for your salvation and your forgiveness he's Jehovah Shalom, the Lord God our peace. That he's the one who will bring peace to your heart in the midst of the storms of life. Focus on his holiness and his majesty that there is none other but him. And then come to the second part where you pray. Your kingdom come. Pray for the kingdom of God to break in not only into your life. But all of your family, all of your workplaces, our city, our national government, the globe—God has a plan, not just for you, not just for Cedar Rapids, not just for Iowa, but for the entire earth. And let your heart learn to trust your heart as God drops something in about a country, or maybe a missionary, or maybe one of your family members, or or coworker at work, maybe somebody you don't like very much. And maybe even love less. And then you pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not just in your life, but for everybody. These are This is a seven-part prayer that's an outline that's given to the church to model our prayers by. And it covers everything and everyone. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Wow. That's a biggie. He even talks a little bit about forgiveness at the end of the Lord's Prayer, right? He says it's important to forgive others. Because if you want to walk across the bridge of forgiveness, you have to walk across it first for anybody else can follow. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want to invite you to use this in your prayer life. And to use it just the way that I shared it with you. I want us to start this morning. Would you bow your heads and let's use this as a way to prepare our hearts as we to celebrate the sacrament of communion together. You can look at your those words if you want, if you don't have it memorized. But I want us to take this time of silence to pray the Lord's Prayer as a way to prepare our hearts for communion.
1: Let's close our time of preparation by praying these words together out loud. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to the Lord's table, we don't come uh, the wrong way. We don't come because this is some kind of show. We don't come to display our righteousness before others. We don't come without faith. Uh, Without faith, it would be meaningless. But we come to demonstrate our faith is not in ourselves, but our faith is in the finished work of Jesus Christ.